can open your Bibles with me to John chapter 14. John, <coughs> excuse me, chapter 14. Today we'll, we will be covering, Lord willing, verses 18 through 20 of John chapter 14. And I want to go ahead at this time and ask you to stand with me if you're able for the reading of God's Word. And if you'll bear with me, I'd like to read beginning from verse 15 down through verse 31, the end of the chapter. And then we will pray and begin. John 14:15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Thank you, you may be seated. As you're being seated, I'll ask you to bow with me now in prayer. Gracious, kind, heavenly Father, Oh God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that You have made many great promises in Your Word. Oh God, I thank You for the text before us now. And I pray that You, by Your Spirit, would cause it to stir up in us a great rejoicing and a celebration and longing after that which You've promised. God, I pray that as those who sit here now who are yet separated from Christ as they hear of these things, oh God, I pray that You would produce in them a yearning and a longing after that which He's promised to those who love Him. God, I pray that You would guard me from error and protect me from speaking wrongly about You or misrepresenting Your Word in any way. Oh God, I want to proclaim what You have given to us and I ask for authority to do so. To proclaim it as one who is sent by you. And not only sent, but also carried and upheld with unction from on high. God, I ask that you would glorify yourself in this time. That you would minister to your people. And use even a weak man to proclaim your glorious truth. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. By way of introduction, it's been a couple of weeks ago before or since we were last in John 14. And the last message, just to refresh our minds a little bit, 
we saw this reality. We saw this truth in light of verses 15 through 17 that Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And our primary emphasis during that time was to see that the way to know the love of God is not according to what you can do. Jesus is not saying if you want to know the love of God, then keep my commandments. He's saying if you if you love me, you will. And we worked through those thoughts together and I won't re-preach that message. But then we come now to this line in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. I thought that I had in preparation for this message in that first line, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, was this. You know, Christmas is fast approaching. And there are many young people around the world right now who are anxiously anticipating a visit from Santa Claus. Now, I won't tell you what to do or how to tell what to tell your kids about that, except to say this. Be very careful that you not encourage your children to place a hope in a spiritual being that promises to bring them gifts and rewards if they only behave good enough. There's no greater demonstration, I believe, of a false religion and works righteousness than that. However, there is a figure in church history known as St. Nicholas. Some of you may be familiar with this man, a man who was born, I believe, around year A.D. 270, and he was born to a merchant family and inherited a great wealth from his parents. And if you go and read the testimony of the real St. Nicholas, the one in church history, he was a man full of generous love towards others who even adopted children into his home. Orphans, we read, I will not leave you as orphans. The real St. Nicholas was concerned about young people in particular that had no one to care for them, no one to take care of them. And not only young people, he was known for using his wealth to give and support and help all sorts of suffering people, poor farmers and others alike. And there's a testimony of that. But the greatest thing the real St. Nicholas is known for probably is striking Arius on the face at the Council of Nicaea for suggesting that Jesus was not God. That's the real St. Nicholas and just a historical tie to this time of year. The sermon this morning is titled, No Longer Orphans. No Longer Orphans. And I have three primary points I want to look at with you. I'll give them to you at the beginning and then we'll consider them as we come to them. The first point, if you're taking notes, is No Longer Orphans. Even as the title suggests, No longer orphans will be the first point. The second point we'll look at together will be life in Christ. Life in Christ will be the second point. And the third and final point will be communion with God. And we'll consider them as we come to them. Here is the first point. The first heading, no longer orphans. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. Now, before we begin working through the implications of this statement, we've got to stop and consider for a second the biblical reality that every single person that's ever been born has a spiritual father. In one sense, there is no such thing as an orphan among the human race. Just this last week, I was in conversation with someone in this town and they were taking issue with another preacher in town. I'll let you guess who that might be. For suggesting that people in this community might actually be doing things that could be called the devil's work. He's very upset. And I told him, I said, you know, I don't know the context of what this other man told you. But I do know this. The scripture says there are only two types of people in the world. Children of God and children of the devil. And he was appalled at this thought. And I tried to convince the man in conversation that there's a need to be made a child of God, to be adopted. So in one very real sense, there is no such thing as someone without a spiritual father or influence. A couple of scriptures on the subject. Ephesians 2 and verse 3 says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, And we're by nature 
children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Children of wrath. Or from Romans chapter 5 and verse 19. For us, by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So the scripture describes people who are not in Christ as a child of wrath. And as there's this reality that by one man, Adam's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So we have a spiritual head in Adam who sinned on our behalf. And we also have a spiritual head in Satan himself. As we see, if you'll look with me briefly at John chapter 8. Previously considered scripture. John chapter 8. Read with me verses 41 through 44. Jesus tells these Jews who are appealing to their connection to Abraham. He says to them, you are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The biblical reality is that every person is either a child of God or they are a child of the devil. You're either a son or daughter of Adam, guilty of his sin as well as your own, or you're a son or daughter of God, forgiven by the blood of his own son. Now that being said, laying that as a foundation in the beginning, Jesus uses the term orphan in our text in order to make a distinction between his own people and everyone else in the world. The way in which we experience the promise of sonship that Jesus is referring to, he says, I'll not leave you as orphans. How is it that we're not left as orphans? Well, he's going on to tell us that it is according to the work of this helper, this promised Holy Spirit. You recall in verse 17 from the last sermon in this in this section, it says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So you see the very way in which Jesus is telling us that we're not going to be left as orphans is according to the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he indicates that those who are in the world who are not his people cannot receive, see or know. him. And so let's consider together now what it means that those who are separated from Christ are, in a sense, left as orphans in the world. You you see the point in this? Jesus is telling his followers and us as well that the promise of this comforter, this helper, this Holy Spirit, I'll not leave you as orphans. And everyone who does not have this spirit is left as an orphan. What does it mean for them to be left as orphans? The first way in which those who are separated from Christ are as orphans is that they have no sense of security or provision. What comes into your mind when you hear the term orphan? Perhaps many of us think of some rugged looking child on the streets of London, scrounging for whatever scraps they can find. Um, That may be what you imagine when you think about an orphan. The unbeliever, here's their reality. As an orphan, they're looking to themselves as their own provider. Is there anything more sad for you to imagine than a very young person, a young child? Consider one of these young children here with us and imagine if no one is providing for them. Imagine them going out on their own trying to provide sustenance and shelter. It's a tragic thought. But God is telling us in the word today that those who are outside of Christ are in a similar condition. They have no source, no certain source of provision or sustainment. We know the scripture tells us that God's grace is is such that he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. And he even provides for the unbeliever. 
But the unbeliever has no security, no sense of appreciation for God's provision. And this this kind of an attitude of self-provision, what does it produce? Well, they're prepared to rob, to swindle, and even to work their fingers to the bone in order to eat and have some sense of security. From Psalm 127, verse 2. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, this is written to God's people and he's telling them, I'm the one who provide for you. And if you go out and work yourself anxious toil, trying to produce bread and feed yourself, it's vain unless I provide for you. The unbeliever doesn't have a a connection with the sense that God, as my father, is providing for me. They're left in their own heart and mind as orphans in this sense. The second way in which those who are separated from Christ are as orphans. So first, they don't have a felt sense and trust in God's provision and His security and care. The second way is that they have no governing authority over their decisions and over the direction of their life. Think about this with me. That those who are outside of Christ, who are left as orphans, they scramble through life with nothing but an often seared conscience and their own desires guiding them. They have no heavenly father leading them. And I submit to you that perhaps the single greatest scourge upon our land is fatherlessness. Fatherlessness. And think of this. Statistics and experience alike demonstrate to us the disastrous effect that is had on the minds of young people when there's no authoritative voice in their life. There's no father saying, listen, son, stop that what you're doing. It's not okay. There's no moral conscience established because there's no father. Likewise, those who are separated from Christ, those who don't know this fatherly affection are left with no moral compass and they go and do what they want to do. There's no There's no authority over them. Judges chapter 17 and verse 6 says, In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And that's the testimony of our nation by and large today. What's the source of authority? I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live how I want to live. Do you see how this is connected to this idea of an orphan who makes up the rules as they go? If I can get away with it and it makes me happy, I'm going to do it. This is what it means to be in this state of an orphan and separated from God. I want to read for you at this point a very well-known poem. A poem by the name of Invictus. The author William Ernest Henley. And you may have heard this. You've probably heard at least a line out of this poem. A little bit of the backstory. Henley His mother, I believe, either left or died when he was very young, but his father died when he was a teenager. He's orphaned. Shortly after, he's he's laid up in a hospital bed, has either one or both, I can't remember, of his legs amputated. And he's brooding over his anger against God. He's orphaned himself. And he pins this. This is what happens when you don't have this idea of God as Father ordering and directing your life. He writes... Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Do you hear what he's saying in this last line, doesn't matter what punishments await me. I'm going to decide for myself how to live. Making yourself the authority. That is what it means to live as an orphan separated from God. And His loving, 
direction in your life. I believe this is the sole explanation as to why men and women do the works of their father, the devil. When you're separated from this fatherly love and direction of God, the inevitable result is that you run headlong into the pit, the, the pit excuse me, of sin and death. So the first two ways, if you're an orphan in this world, you're separated from God's provision and a sense of security and Him caring for you. Secondly, you have no guide, you have no source of authority, and you have no moral compass outside of what you think's right. The third way in which those separated from Christ are as orphans in the world is that they're separated from the warm affections and tender kindness of God as Father. Now, I believe this third area may be the most horrific implication of being as an orphan. How many countless testimonies can be given of the traumatic grief and heartache of the soul that people have endured by those who have grown up separated from a father's love? I think even of my own dear wife's testimony and talking with her and preparing this message, not having the regular ongoing loving support of parents in her life who care for her and the destruction that it causes. And you look at God as father and think, what is that? What is a father to me? This is what it means to be separated. Those who are left as orphans, those who don't have the promise of Christ, do not have this kind of a loving relationship. From God as Father. John chapter 4. We're given an insight into this. And I'm, I'm wanting to show you the horrifying reality of this description being left as an orphan. Don't fret. We're going on to see the positive side of this. But let the weight of this disaster sink in for a moment. From John chapter 4. Begin reading with me if you will at verse 20. Jesus is talking with this woman at the well, the Samarian woman, and she says to him, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Now maybe you're listening to that and you're wondering, what does that have to do with knowing God as Father and knowing His affection and love for me as Father? Notice in the text. Jesus, the last thing he's done before she says this is he's highlighted her sin. He's shown her, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. You tell the truth, woman, for you've already had four and the one you're living with now is not your husband. She says, I perceive that you're a prophet. And she brings up this discussion about worship. But notice she says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Worshiped what? Worshiped who? It's Jesus who says, Jesus says to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Can you imagine what's going through this woman's mind? How can I have a relationship with God as Father as this sinful, sexually perverted life that I've lived? I can't know the affection of God as Father. Jesus says, oh, there's a time coming when your worship will be worship of the Father. It's an amazing thing. Even our greatest attempts at genuine worship are cold and lifeless unless the Spirit leads us to awareness of God as Father. And without knowing the warmth of His smile and His love, we will not enter into this. This is what it means to be an orphan. The fourth point I want to bring out and final one on this subject is that those who are separated from Christ or as orphans in the world, in that they have no sense of family or belonging. 
At least none that satisfies and brings joy. So first, if you're orphaned in the world, you have no sense of God as your father. You have no sense of his guidance and protection, even in the laws that he gives you. You have no moral compass. You're separated from his affections and his love. And you're alone and without family, without companionship, without a place where you belong. You see, if you're separated from Christ and the devil is your father, that's the repeated theme of the scriptures. If you don't know Christ, Satan is your father. If Satan is your father, your family tree is made up of demons and other children of the devil. Doesn't sound like a very appealing family reunion, does it? The only sense of unity and belonging that you can know in this state of being an orphan is in your joint pursuit of sin and rebellion to God. You go and look at testimonies of marriages that have lasted years and years, and they really genuinely enjoy one another, but they're not Christians. You will often find there is some pursuit of sin that they engage in regularly together that produces that unity. And I'm not just making this up. Acts chapter 4 and verse 26 says this, The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. Now, answer this. What do Herod and Pontius Pilate have to do with one another? Except in their rebellion to God. That's the unifying source. And so the fourth point is that you have no sense of belonging if you are an orphan in this way. How many of you can testify to entering into this at some level? Some of you are sitting there right now and saying, if you knew the family that I come from, Oh, you would you would not be surprised to see the hurt in my heart that's been caused by this. And others of us praise God and say, well, he's provided loving parents who've always loved and cared for me and sheltered me and given me all that I need. Well, the answer to all of these things is to see that if if we come to understand the devastating reality of those who are living as orphans in the world, it should cause us to marvel at the promise Jesus is making in our text when he says, I'll not leave you as orphans. What's the other side of these four indications of what it means to be left as an orphan in the world? The first one is this. We can rest with all confidence that God is our provider and will graciously meet our needs as he sees fit. We can trust him. When Jesus says, I'll not leave you as orphans, he's saying there is an attachment to God that you can trust his provision. Matthew chapter six, just briefly, if you'll look with me, Matthew, Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse twenty five. We read this, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Knowing God as father produces a, a kind of security that you can trust. God knows what you need. He continues on in verse 27. And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. Now, here's the point. Positively, negatively, is you're an orphan in the world. You have no sense of God's provision. As a child of God who's not left as an orphan, you know my heavenly Father sees all and He knows what I need. And He's able to provide for me. I can trust Him. That is the reality. The second 
reality is we have a trustworthy guide and authority over our lives that we can gladly submit ourselves to in the word of God. You, if you're a child of God and you're not left as an orphan, you have the voice of a father leading and directing your steps. Ezekiel 36 and verse 27, God promises in the new covenant that I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And as a Christian, perhaps you say, what if I don't walk according to his statutes? Well, Hebrews 12, 6, he says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Those who are left as orphans in the world can have no guarantee that God will correct their sin and error. As a Christian, you can know with absolute certainty if you step out of line, God is going to lovingly bring you back to himself. This is what it means to not be left as an orphan. God will love us in this way. The third reality is that we have an experiential knowledge of God as our father. And a real and abiding sense of his love and affection for us. We're not left as orphans means that we know God loves us. And he expresses that to us according to his spirit. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You know, I've heard testimony of foster kids who go into a home and they're living with other people and they live constantly in a state of fear and slavery. If I step out of line, they're going to stop loving me and send me away because it's happened to them time and time again. God says you're not given a spirit of of fear, but of adoption. You're actually part of the family. You're not an orphan. You belong to this family. That's what Jesus is telling you. I'll not leave you as orphans. You're going to know God as father. That's what he's saying to you. And fourthly, we've been united by faith to other believers and welcomed into the family of God. No matter how divided your earthly family might be, you are fully accepted and belong to the household of faith if you are in Christ. Matthew 19, 29 says, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. What's Jesus telling you that if you leave your family, you're going to get rich? Well, it's kind of what he's saying. He's saying if following me costs you your closest relationships, you're going to have relationships, brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers in the family of God. You're going to have relationships here that are more everlasting and eternal and genuine than you ever had in the world. And then Ephesians. If you want to look with me again at Ephesians. Chapter two. This is verses 11 through 22. What does it mean that we're not orphans? Jesus says you're not orphans. Those in the world, that's how they are. Our experience is this, beginning in verse 11 of Ephesians 2. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's an orphan. That's someone separated from God. Verse 13, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. 
Our connection, this was the entire theme of our conference. Our connection to God is through knowing Him as Father. We're brothers and sisters in this family because of our relationship to Him as Father. We're not orphans because of this. And He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. And whom the whole structure is being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, the glorious wonders, the glories of our benefits as children of God, not left as orphans in the world, that there are too many to count. We're only highlighting and emphasizing what this primarily means. But let me ask you, why? Why do you suppose Jesus is telling them this truth, this earth shattering, glorious truth? I'll not leave you as orphans. Why is he telling them this at this point in the context of John 14? Why do you suppose these disciples would be tempted to think they had been left as orphans? Why might they think that? Why is he telling them this? And why might you and I be tempted to think we've been left as orphans? The answer is because Jesus was about to die. He's been telling them, I'm going away. And where I'm going, you can't come. He's headed to the cross. That's where He's going. And He's directly heading to the cross. You see, Jesus is going on to tell them in the next verse that He's no longer going to be physically visible to them. And we, like them, are often tempted to doubt these promises because we don't see Him visibly. And the question I ask is, is there hope to be had in the midst of despair like this? Jesus says, I'm not leaving you as orphans, though you may feel like I've left you as an orphan. That's the idea. That's the context. The second point. Second heading is life in Christ. Look with me again at verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Notice this. Not only has Jesus promised that they will not be as orphans, but He goes even further by staking the surety of this promise, the trustworthiness of this promise upon His own activity. Jesus says, I will come to you. He's not left this responsibility up to another to ensure that His precious disciples are cared for. He doesn't leave it to another. He doesn't send an angel or men to care for them. He says He Himself is directly and immediately involved in the care of His people. I will come to you. Now, what sense does that make? In light of the fact that Jesus has been telling them for several weeks we've been seeing Him saying, He's going to the cross. He literally just told them He's going away and where He's going they cannot come. How can this promise be true? How is it that He is promising that He will come to them and to us if He's going to die? Verse 19, He says, Yet a little while, and the world will see Me no more. But you will see Me, because I live, you also will live. As we're noting before, Jesus makes another reference here to His departure out of the world. He tells them, I'm going to die. That's what He's saying. Now, it might seem strange to you at first. If I came to you and I said, I'm going to help you with something. And then my next statement was, I'm going to die tomorrow. You'd think, how are you going to help me if you're not going to be here? Is it disconnected? What's He saying? I want you to see that there is an intimate connection between Jesus' promise to come to them And the reality of His death. They're connected. And the question we ask is, what does Jesus' death and His departure out of the world, what does that have to do with His promise to them? In coming to them? Are they connected? How can we see the connection? Well, at this point, we see the very grounds of every promise of God. The only way in which any person is able to be adopted into the family of God The only way that any person is able to know Him as Father is through the death of Jesus Christ. And so you ask this question, how can it be that we who are alienated from God, we who are as orphans in the world, 
We who are carrying out the desires of the flesh and of the mind and serving the the devil, our father, how can we with hearts as black as pitch ever come to a right relationship with God? Look again with me. Jesus says the world will see me no more. In other words, I'm going to die. I'm going out of this world. Look again with me at Romans. Chapter five. This is very important foundational truth. Begin reading at verse 17. Jesus, Paul says to us concerning this Jesus, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life to the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. His going out of the world, his leaving, his no longer being seen by the world is that he's dying and he's dying in the place of sinners. Jesus obedience that's referred to here is his obedience unto death. And that's the very thing that makes us righteous. You realize if Jesus did not die, he cannot promise to come to them nor to you and I. If he simply had disappeared and went back to the father without that death, there's no promise of our sonship at all. We are made righteous and forgiven and adopted into this family because of his death. And the world would see him no more. As he went to die for the sins of the world. Think on this. The true son, the one and only son was slain in order that orphans might be adopted as sons. We are adopted because of his death. I ask you. Is his death the end of the story? If Jesus only died, is there any hope for us in the promise of being not left as orphans? Can we enter into that? Well, he says to us. In the second part of verse 19, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. The answer to all of this is that this grave that he's going to could not hold him. Why not? Why didn't Jesus just stay dead? This is the question for the ages. How is it that he was raised from the dead? And an even more important question is how could he ever have died? The answer is that his perfect righteousness demanded that he rise again on the third day. Jesus, who's of infinite worth as the wrath of God against your sin was upon him. He absorbs it all. And in his righteousness, how could one who is righteous, one who has satisfied wrath, stay in the grave? He could not. He burst asunder those bands of death. They could not hold him. They could not keep him. And he says, because I live. You also will live. Imagine the depression the disciples surely would have felt if Jesus went to the cross. He says, I'll not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. He says to them, because I live, you also will live. And he stays in the grave. If that were to happen, there would be no Christianity today. There would be no church today. We would not be sitting as we are. But he raised from the dead. And the scripture teaches that the same power which raised him from the dead is at work in us that we might walk in newness of life. Jesus, as we've seen, he is the very source of life and joy. Because I live, you also will live. In a moment, towards the end, I want to read the quote on the front of the bulletin. But before that, I'd like to share with you the line out of a song that was written by the one who quoted the front of the bulletin. Horatius Bonner. In the end, the last line of his song, not what my hands have done. That's how the song starts. Not what my hands have done can cleanse my guilty soul. That's how he starts. And this is his concluding line. He says, I praise the God of grace. I trust his truth and might. He calls me his. I call him mine. My God, my joy, my light. My Lord has saved my life and freely pardon gives. I love because he first loved me. I live because he lives.
Jesus says, because I live, you also will live. So here's our last question we ask today. How can you come to know and enjoy these things? Our final point is on communion with God. Very fitting in light of us gathering around the table today and taking the Lord's Supper. Communion with God. Verse 20 says, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. How confident can you be that Jesus is telling the truth when He says to those who trust Him, I'll not leave you as orphans. Some of you may be sitting there right now at this moment in doubt, thinking that knowing God's fatherly love and the way I've been describing is either too impossible on the one hand or too unlikely for you to experience. And maybe you sit there and you think to yourself, I'm nothing but a worm, a filthy and unworthy wretch, and I have no deserving of this divine affection. Well, I would say you're right. You don't deserve this divine affection. That's not the point that he's saying. And perhaps some of you, the soul-scarring neglect of your earthly parents has you doubting that such love even exists. How can you know that these things are so? How can you know that God's love, which is promised to you and not leaving you as an orphan, His fatherly love, how can you know it's true? Jesus gives us the grounds for the surety, the validity and truthfulness of His claim. He says, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. The grounds for His claim is nothing less than the unchanging, eternal, and infinite love within the Trinity. You remember a message from John 17 in our conference really emphasized this same point. That the eternal love between the Father, Son, and Spirit is the exact love that's given to us. We're brought into that. Jesus, He stakes His claim in the fact that He and the Father are one. And did you miss this? Jesus is promising this Helper is going to come. And He says, I will come. Which is it, Jesus? You are the Spirit. They are one. it's, It's such a union between Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, and the Spirit, the third person, that when the Spirit comes, Jesus is able to say, as He comes, I'm coming. That's the nature of the relationship in the Godhead. And Jesus says to us, in that day, you will know that I am in my Father. In other words, can there be any doubt? Is there any doubt? You may doubt God's love for you. That's fine. I understand. I doubt it for me at times as well. But can you doubt the Father's love for Jesus Christ? When you look at Jesus' righteousness, can you find anything in Him that would cause His Father to turn Him away and say, I don't want you? That's the love we're talking about. Love that says, I'm pleased in you, my beloved Son. That's the love God has for you in Christ. If you want to know how sure this promise is, ask yourself this. Can there be any question of the son's undying loyalty and affection for his father? He says, I go to die because I love my father. I'm obedient because I love him. I've come to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus, did he ever disobey the father? Will he ever fall from a state of perfect union with his father? The answer is no, he will not. The communion that we know with God as those who are no longer orphans, who have been adopted and know this adoption because the Holy Spirit tells you you're a child of God. That reality is found in Jesus statement concerning his unity with the father. He says, You'll be in me and I in you. The whole of the scriptures declare to us that there is perfect love and unending affection within the triune God. There's really only one question that remains. One question in light of Jesus' words to us today. You see what he's saying to you? I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This helper, this spirit's going to come to you. And he says, I'll I'll going away in a little while. You'll see me no more. But because I live, you will live. And you say, how can I know that's true? And he says, in that day, you'll know I'm in the father and you and me and I and you. The only question is this. How are you related to the son of God? That's the question. 
Jesus is trustworthy. His word is true. And he says, if I am in you and you're in me, this is a reality for you. That you are in the family of God. Final charge and question is, will you be found in him? Will you be found in him? I want you to think back about this for a moment. Consider the insanity of continuing to spin your gears, serving the God of this world, living after him. Newsflash, he will leave you as an orphan. He is your rightful spiritual father when you're born in sin. The devil, he's going to leave you as an orphan. You remember the line from Christian and Pilgrim's Progress when he's confronted by Satan and he says, come and work for me and your wages will be doubled. Christian says, the wages you offer are not such as a man can live on. The wages that Satan offers you is death and destruction and hell and the wrath of God. And he will leave you as an orphan with no hope and without God in the world. God says to you, I'll not leave you in that way. Come and trust my son. Believe in my son and I will receive you as a son indeed. Truly into God's family. The charge to you is to repent and believe this gospel message. There is no greater hope. What a glorious promise that God has promised. He will provide for us as he so pleases. He'll provide not only he'll provide not only what we want, but what we need. You you think of what Jesus told the disciples on one occasion. He says, which of you being evil will give if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake. You ever think about that? Give him a serpent. Well, it's implied, Jesus is saying, that your Father in heaven will give good things to those who ask. But here's the point. Suppose that child was to ask for a serpent. What do you think the good Father would give them? Not a serpent. Still a fish. That even when our desires don't match what's good for us and what we need, God will faithfully provide for us. God will lead us by His Word and His law and direct our steps in true morality and righteousness according to His Word. And He will let us know His love and affection, His smile upon us, and unite us together in a family that we truly belong with, truly have a place with. This is what's said before you. Choose this day whether you will trust and believe the word of Christ and know these promises to be true in your own life. So with that, I'll ask you now to bow with me and we'll close this portion in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've not left us alone, scrambling, afraid, without hope without guidance, without joy, without Your Spirit at work in us. Oh God, I pray that You would unite our hearts and give us a shared and joint love for You and an experience of communion with one another as we gather around Your table. Oh God, that You would woo a lost, orphaned sinner here today that they would come to You and find rest. Oh God, I praise You for Your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen.